This is Glenn Barth, president of Good Cities, and we're excited to uh, offer these calls as an opportunity for us to learn business practices where businesses are building into their, their uh, business model ways that they'll create social good in their own communities. Today we have with us Ron Hogue, who lives and works in Dallas, Texas, as a consultant for the business and marketing turnaround company, Golf Strategies. His work helps companies establish a beyond-profit culture. Ron, it's good to have you with us. Well, thank you. This is a, a privilege and a blessing to be able to, to share our story. Yeah, yeah. Some of you might want to know that Ron has, uh, in his, prior to his current work, he served as a pastor for churches in California, Vancouver, and uh, also in Dallas. And uh, he helped some of those churches become missional in their communities with a service focus through adopting local schools and working with the city on key initiatives. Ron also serves as the executive director of Good Works Now, a uh, missions organization that offers leadership training to Christian leaders in Cambodia, Nepal, Thailand, India, Honduras, Liberia, and Kenya. Ron, uh, we have you on today. We're going to be talking about a beyond-profit culture. Can you tell us what a beyond-profit corporate culture is? Uh, sure, Absolutely. Um, let me just kind of tell you the story of where I even picked up that phrase. I was actually sent a book by the author Amy Sherman. She wrote a book called Kingdom Calling, and um, and it's a, it's a great book because it basically talks about you know what happens when communities and companies uh, begin to do good and the city rejoices, and she goes into this whole uh, paradigm of that. But in the book, she talks about how companies, a lot of companies are seeing the fact that they have a greater purpose beyond their profits, and it serves greater purposes in, in the world. And she was giving an illustration of one of those companies, and she used the phrase beyond profit. And so that really captured my attention, and I, I basically put it, when I read through a book, I'll take notes and, you know, give kind of a, a guide of what I just read, and I, I put that aside because I thought that was a really uh, well-communicated thought. What I didn't realize is that it was a very common thought, and if you did a Google search of that phrase, you would see it used quite often. A lot of people talk about it. There's organizations that are built off of it. I didn't know any of that, but uh, that's where I got the my exposure to the phrase. And uh, before I define just what that is, I just want to back up and talk about why we even went down that road as a company. It's because we began to realize the significance of, of culture. And so uh, I think all of us on the call realize that, um, you know, the culture of, of any company is basically the environment of the company. It's what the employees are immersed in. It's the manners, the customs, et cetera, that you find in the company. In some ways, it's kind of like the personality of the organization. And just naturally, culture flows from the top. So how management 
and ownership, those who own the company, how they run the company, uh, typically is reflected by their own personal values, and that makes its way into their policies, procedures, their goals, business practices, et cetera, and it creates a culture. And so what happens is you have a culture that emerges by default, which basically means it just naturally emerges out out of the people that are there and how they do business. But you also can have culture by design. In other words, you can be the creator of a culture, which means that you have an intentional goal, an intentional strategy to become something very specific. And that's what we wanted to do here with this company, Crystal Clear. And so we decided we wanted to be a beyond-profit culture and a beyond-profit company. And so if I were to so, define... Uh, so, Ron, let, yeah. me just, uh, let me just stop there for a second. Yes. So what you're saying is that at, at Golf Strategies, one of the strategies you work with is you, you help the leaders of a company begin to really think through uh, their corporate culture and uh, and you then uh, work with clients uh, to help them become designers of their corporate culture rather than just allowing the corporate culture to develop by default. And one of the companies you're working with then is Crystal Clear Concepts. Uh, tell us a yeah. little bit about that company and then how you came to work with them. Crystal Clear is a, it's a whole home water treatment um, company. In other words, they sell systems that basically filter the water for the entire home. And it's an emerging market. It's one of the most, um, I, I would say, one of the most critical markets emerging because of the state of water in America and the declining infrastructure in the cities in regards to how water is treated and how water is transported to homes. And so this company, uh, there are a lot of companies that, that sell these type of systems, and there's different variations, but this company... That's what they do. And we stepped in about, well, a little over two years ago. I've been working with them for, for two years, but uh, Galt actually has been working with them for about, you know, two and a half years. But when we when we stepped in, it was like a lot of these smaller water treatment companies. The, the culture was pretty rough. Uh, when you go into these companies, what you typically find, uh, you, you find the fact that uh, the people there are, are, are pretty crude. Uh, there's a lot of negativity. There's just a lot of things about these types of companies. And they'll tell you, the, the whole industry will, will tell you that's just kind of the way it is. And so we talked to the owner at the time and, and, and he's a Christian, but he didn't know how to fix anything. He didn't know how to change the culture. And so we basically said to him, look, uh, we can change your systems and your processes, but with that, there's gotta, you got to address the culture. And so we helped him understand the importance of how you create culture, and you just don't let culture control you. You, you, you take control of it. And so that's what we did. We created a strategy to do that, and we implemented it over the last two years. Well, then, uh, tell us then about um, 
some of the processes that you began to use and um you know and, and uh, what's the what's the corporate culture look like today how has it changed well what we what we tried to do first of all we wanted to define what a beyond profit company was and so we basically defined it as a company that extends its profit to people in need and measures success by its impact on others. So those, so those were two parameters that we created. We wanted to be able to say there's a higher purpose for money, so we want to extend our profit, not just into our pockets, but we want to extend the profit you know, to people in need, but we also want to change the metric for success. So we want to measure success by impact. And so in order to do that, we had to begin creating a strategy, which we did, because we realized through, there's all kinds of studies out there that uh, I could give you, I could talk about, but basically the, the emerging studies in corporate America about people who stay at companies or productive at companies, who love to work at companies, don't ever want to leave companies, it basically revolves around culture dynamics. It's, it's who they work with, and it's why they work. And if you can address those things, then you can actually create a, a workforce that will constantly empower the growth of the company. And so that's what we did. Uh, let, me, let me give you a couple of stories about that, and then I'll kind of and you can ask me a question or two if you'd like, but then I'll tell you the process. So we have a guy named Bob. He's one of our sales guys, and he came to us about a year, a little over a year ago. And, you know, salesmen kind of bump around from company to company. They're they're kind of a unique breed. But Bob was he's real rough around the edges, uh, struggled with the drinking problem, very egotistical, uh, was very open about his immoral lifestyle, and, and did some stuff that honestly were they, were they were personally destructive to him. Well, over time, he started to change. His values started to change. His behavior started to change. He quit drinking. Uh, he cleaned up his language. Uh, all kinds of things just started happening. And two months ago, we had a class of new sales uh, people, and there was a woman in the class, and so we were going around asking why they wanted to work with us, and her comment was, well, I want to go through the same program Bob went through. And we said, well, what do you mean program? And she says, well, I've known Bob for years, and I know all the struggles that he has and all of the, his issues, and she says, this guy has radically changed and when I asked him, why are you different, he said it's because he worked here. So I want to work here because I want to go through whatever program you put him through because there's stuff in my life that needs to be turned around. And if you can do it for Bob, you, you can do it for anybody. And we just thought that was amazing because there was no quote-unquote program. It was the fact that Bob was immersed in a culture that changed him. What a great story. Um, you know, that to us, I mean, I, I think, Ron, as, as you talk about 
life change for a guy like Bob. Um, that it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Wayne Alderson, who uh, was the founder of the value of the person concept. Um, so, you know, what what were some of the key factors that brought this significant change in Bob's life? And did it happen with others in the company, too? Well, and absolutely. Um, and that's it, it's atmospheric. It's environmental. What happens is whenever you systematically and intentionally change a culture, it impacts everybody who's there. And I could give you many, many stories. Uh, let, let me tell you another story about a guy named Dan. Dan's in charge of our maintenance department. He's out there in the homes of our customers every day. And Dan's an atheist. Uh, Dan's single, kind of self-absorbed. I mean, that's typically who he has been, and he would tell you that. And one day he told us about a situation that just kind of blew our minds because he basically goes into homes when the units have problems, and so he's there to maintenance the, the, the units. And he bumped into this lady. She was a single lady, older lady, living by herself. She's retired from the Navy. She's a Navy veteran, but she's had four strokes. She's disabled. She doesn't have any family. And he realized that she had virtually no food in the home. So this was on a Saturday when he was there to fix her unit. He left her house, went to the grocery store, bought about $100 worth of groceries, brought them back to her, filled up her pantry, fixed her a meal, and then started a conversation with her where she said, you know, I'm all by myself. I'd give anything to have a dog just to keep me company, but I don't have a fence in the back and it's too much money. So he created a GoFundMe page to raise $3,000 so she could buy a good dog and build a fence. And I just got word this week that they've already contacted a fence company and they've got all the funds that they need to do this. I mean, when we asked him, well, what kind of led you to do that? He says, I don't know. He said, just being in part of this company, it made me want to help people. And that was totally something that was organic and just emerged out of his own heart. And uh, that's the type of stuff that's happening around this company because of the culture. Now, Ron, had that ever happened before, or or was it really the result of this uh, change that's happening? It, what, how how did the owner respond? Has he been, uh, you know, has he, has he been excited about some of the changes? Well, the exciting thing is is that when atmosphere changes, everybody's desire to work changes, because once you begin to help people realize that life is not about a paycheck. Life is about calling. Life is about purpose. There's more to life than just showing up someplace and putting in your hours. You know, it's the whole thing of thank God it's Friday. I didn't, I'm just working to get out of here. But when you know there's a higher purpose for what you do, then your desire and motivation to work changes. And and it happens throughout this whole company because you know, we have a unique strategy of, of what we did in order to create this kind of culture 
And so it filters down into every aspect of, of how we do business and how we promote what we do with other people. I think that's so exciting. You know, and, and Ron, I wonder, would you please uh, just tell us, how do you create this kind of a culture in a company? Has this been the only company where you've seen this, or are there others, too? This is, this is the first company that, that I've worked with where we've actually started from ground zero and went all the way through. Uh, I'm now working with another company that's actually adopting this as well. And it's now, and in fact, within the next, I'd say, six to eight months, there will be four more companies that we work with that I'll be implementing this with. Um, so the, the, the strategy, and I'm going to do just share this real quick, kind of give you the 30,000-foot view, but the thing that, that we did, first of all, is that we did a culture assessment. We just sat down, and there are tools for that. We've actually developed a tool for that. But you basically have to say, okay, what is the culture? I mean, if we were to sit down and if we were to talk to our employees and say, okay, how would you describe the company? What do you think the, the purpose of the company, the goals, the values, et cetera? And, and just what do you feel when you come into this place? Um, you'll, you'll be surprised at what people say. But you do a culture assessment. Once you kind of know where you're at, that kind of tells you how far you have to go. Another thing that we had to do, we had to define what our values were as a company, which we did. We went through a whole process for that, and then we created an action plan. And that action plan basically built the culture on three pillars. Those pillars were giving, serving, and caring. And so basically what we did, just to tell you how we – went through this, we allocated on the giving pillar, we decided to set aside 1% of our corporate profits for beyond profit initiatives. And so this was like planned giving. So we had 1% of our money in order to do profits. Now this company, when we took this company, they were doing just under, I'd say about $700,000 or so um, a year in in corporate profits or uh, in their in their gross profits we are now doing about a million dollars a month and so we have had hyper growth but if when you have a lot of growth like that and you take 1% that that basically is a lot of money to do a lot of good with so we wanted to have funds in order to do things the, the next pillar was the serving pillar and there were three focuses on that. There was a global, we did it globally, locally, and internally. Globally, we adopted a village in northern Kenya. It was a group of people on a volcanic rock island that had no one to help them. Uh, they were having 30 to 50 cases of malaria a month. They had no clean water, no toilets no vegetables to eat, very little food, because they didn't have anything to catch fish. There were fish in the lake, a huge lake, but they just didn't have what they needed to catch them. All kinds of problems. And so we adopted that village, and what we did is that we began to create 
uh, key performance indicators, KPIs, to reach as a company, departmentally and company-wide, with a corresponding SPIF that was attached to it. So there'd be some kind of a financial, you know, blessing to the employee, but every time they reached the KPI, it launched a project. Because what we would show the employees is, if you help us reach these goals, that's more profit to the company. And if you get more profit, then we're going to do a project. And so over the last two years, we have provided mosquito nets for everybody on the island. It dropped all of the malaria down to about two to five cases a month. There's been no infant death since we did this. We've built 10 toilets on the island, installed five water filter stations that provide clean water for the whole island. We provided shoes for the kids. We provided fishing, professional fishing nets to 10 teams of fishermen who now provide sustainable food for the island. We've uh, provided solar lights. We are now building our third hydroponic farm to provide fresh vegetables on the island, which has never been done. And then more recently, we adopted one of the schools. There's two schools. We adopted one school where we pay the school fees for the kids for an entire year. And so that's, that's our global initiative. And, of course, every time we do something, we highlight it, we celebrate it, we have pictures and video. We actually, if you walk into our corporate offices, you will see pictures from the island of all of our projects and things that we've done. And that's the environment that you work in. The, the second thing we did is that we started launching local initiatives, and that's where we find projects locally in our own city or community. Uh, one of the more notable ones, in October, we took 30 employees down to Houston in the aftermath of the hurricane, and we, I mean, he literally shut the company down for those who wanted to go, paid for everyone. I mean, like they were working. He paid their their their, their, their salaries for three days so that they could go down and do uh, restoration work, you know, for the victims of the hurricane. And and that changed their lives. I mean, it, it was just unbelievable when you get that many people sleeping together. We had to bunk in a in a church upstairs, and they had to put makeshift showers out in the back. And so you're in that environment, cooking your own meals, sleeping together, working together, and you're doing good. You're doing good together, and it radically impacted, you know, those who went and are a part of that. And then the third was internally, and we do that through servant leadership. We actually teach our managers what it means to be a servant leader uh, we help them do it in a very specific way when it comes to their one-on-one -on -one meetings, uh, how we do it, how managers uh, address correction, even situations where they have to let people go or, or fire folks. There's, there's a right way and a wrong way to do all of that. And if I can just mention this book, I'm sure a lot of the folks on the call may already know about it, but one of the books that we use, it is a business book, even though it may not sound like it that much, but it's called The Way of the Shepherd, Seven Secrets to Managing Productive People by Kevin Lehman and Bill Pintak. Phenomenal little book, which basically helps managers know how to manage in a way 
that is positive, proactive, and will help your employees in a way that they'll want to work and do their best for you. And so pillar of giving, pillar of serving, and then the pillar of caring. And basically, on the pillar of caring, we wanted to make sure that the employees knew that they were important. And so we taught our managers how to address personal struggles in their one-on-one meetings, uh, and which they did. And so it's actually a part of their, their, their scheduled meeting with their employees. So they talk about their marriages, their family, their kids, their health. Uh, we have prayer in our departments. Of course, it's not mandatory, but they'll actually get together. And for anybody who wants to participate, they will pray before the day starts in departments and ask God to bless what we do so that we can be profitable, so that we can impact the lives of people around the world. And so we actually scaled that. So now we have entered into a relationship with an organization called Marketplace Chaplains. And so now we have a chaplaincy program that gives 24-hour care seven days a week to all of our employees whenever they are struggling. It's been a very significant time of sharing. We've heard some good stories of life change. We've also heard uh, some of the principles behind the culture change that uh, Ron and Gulf Strategies are using as they work with different companies. And, uh, and I think what you're hearing today is something that Good Cities is firmly behind, and that is innovation and collaboration. And, uh, and the exciting thing for us is that uh, Ron and uh, and the leaders at Golf Strategies uh, are beginning to work with multiple companies right now with this innovative practice of creating a beyond uh, a beyond profit culture in the local in the companies, and they're beginning to see real results in terms of increased profitability and uh, and an increased sense of the willingness of workers not only to work, but to go the extra mile in their work. Very exciting stuff, Ron. Uh, Ron mentioned one resource for uh, for really helping this kind of thing happen in a, in a local company. Um, Ron, are there other books that you might recommend, or is there a, a, an email address where people might contact you if they want to learn more from you today? Well, besides the book that I mentioned, actually I mentioned a couple of books, uh, the one by Amy Sherman, Kingdom Calling, which I think yes. is a great, great book. Uh, it kind of gives a, a really good perspective of how what we do can positively impact our cities. But um, yeah. and then the book that I mentioned by uh, Kevin Lehman and, and Bill Pintac. So great. there, there are. There, I mean, there are there are many, many uh, resources. I, those are the two that I would bring to the table. I mean, there are others that I that people can find. But um, yeah, they can if they want to contact or ask me a question. They can uh, let me just give you the email that they can use. It's uh, r hogue. That's h o g u e r hogue at crystalclearconcept.com. Thanks, Ron. Uh, one other book that uh, we might recommend from Good Cities, and that that's the book Influencer: um, The New Science of Leading Change. 
by uh, Joseph Grenny, Kenny or Kerry Patterson, and three other authors. I wonder uh, if there's someone here today who uh, who's been listening to this so far and has a question for Ron. Ask just uh, lead in by giving us your name and where you're from. Thanks. Ron, this is Ron. And um, I know, uh, of course, I've watched you for a number of years now in your own personal um, journey, and it's been thrilling. Uh, the work you're doing is so fabulous, and appreciate your sharing that with us. I'm curious about timeline. I know that culture change is not a straight line forward. Uh, it's more like a dance, I mean, you know, back and forth and a little progress. And uh, but, but I wonder if you could comment on two things. One is, do you think that this two years, is that significant? You've been with this company two years, two and a half. Um, and then secondly, would you comment on the power of, it seems to me, I mean, you can get up and give seminars on corporate transformation, but you actually gave people a chance to experience something different, and then they made meaning out of their experience. Well, first of all, on the on the two-year timeline, if you have uh, – one of the advantages that we had here was the fact that the company was relatively young, and so he had only been in operation probably for a couple of years when we came in, and it was very small. I think they had 12 employees total. We now have over 70. But um, the smaller the company and the more manageable it would be in order to create culture. Obviously, if you have a very large company that's been around a long time, the implementation of these types of culture changes changes would be, uh, you know, you'd have to measure that out as far as the, the amount of time it would take in order for all of that to filter down in all aspects of the company. So, but I think for just a, a typical smaller company, you can absolutely uh, make these kinds of changes and see a significant culture difference in two years. In fact, the, the thing that we are using with the, com- the new companies that we're starting to work with, it's a three-year scaled plan and you have to scale it because it's culture shock for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and then you talked about the power of experience. I think that is essential. Here's the deal: we can help. We can help people to experience it virtually. And what I mean by that is, when I'm over there in Kenya and I'm on the videos and I'm interviewing and I'm showing what we're doing there, that's great. But we want our people to feel it and taste it. So what we've had to do, that's what, that's what our trip to Houston did. They experienced mm-hmm. it. Uh, we've actually done things in our offices with certain employees who were sick or their family members had deaths, et cetera. So we give people an opportunity to do things so they can feel it. And the other thing is... Uh, this coming April, we're taking 11 employees paying their way to go to Africa so they can be a part of a project, their project on that island. Mm. Fabulous. See, what happens is when they experience it, they become the cheerleaders. 
Yeah. Uh, so now, when if if you came in and said, "Hey, you like working here?" They're not going to say, "Oh, yeah, the pay is great and I love the product." They're going to say, "Man, we're we're impacting people's lives all over the world." That's what they tell you. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Hi, it's Bill in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh huh. Oh, I'm sorry. So, um, Ron, love what love what you do. Um, we use uh, culture assessment tools in the merger and acquisition corporate uh, finance realm uh, to look for fit between organizations. And I'm curious um, what you think of this. We sort of see cultures having two dimensions. One is values, core values, which is sort of you know who you are as people, and the other is how you get things done. And you know, we could, um, if two organizations couldn't agree on uh, whether they want to be centralized or decentralized or, you know, open uh, or closed, but it's really hard um, to marry disparate value systems. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what you think about that and, and do you tackle those problems differently? Well, obviously, if you're dealing with uh, – now, are you talking about two different companies that you're trying to bring together? Yes, yes. Or, you know, it, it can be the same thing when um, senior management wants to change the values of the organization. Mm-hmm. They have a set of values they want to lead, and they recognize they've got to get people, you know, across that chasm. Yes. Well, what we did – is that we took we took the defining of values very seriously, and so we sat down and hammered all of that out in a series of meetings and created our own set of values. All of that was then communicated, discussed with our department managers, and then they would discuss the values with their employees in their departments. And it's not just objective, it's it's something by which you tie the value to a practice. So if you talk about a, a value, you have to give expression to the value in whatever practice you want that value to be reflected in. And so the, the, the critical piece is to get senior management, executive team, primary stakeholders to come into agreement with what they want because culture always flows from the top. And if you cannot get agreement at the top, it's going to be virtually impossible to get a company-wide culture shift accomplished. Ron, this is uh, Scott Myers from Akron, Ohio. Um, Have you or the people that you work with put much or a lot of thought into how to carry that culture across generations of ownership of the business into the future or if the business would ever be sold, uh, things like that. Basically what happened, and of course I I think our case might have been um, unique, but the original owner of this company actually sold the company to three other owners, and before he did that, he wanted to make sure that they embraced 
the culture and that they were a part or on board with the values, and and they were. I mean, they were fully engaged in that. Um, I think it can be done, and I think if you don't do that, then the new folks who take acquisition of the company are going to see some serious difficult days because once you live in a very positive, proactive, wonderful culture, if you want to shift that or change that, you're going to see a major shift in the people who work there over time. Uh, I mean, just like you're changing negative culture to positive culture, there's culture shock. It goes the opposite way as well. And so I think it can be done. I can even see, I even think it can be, at least in theory, be mandated. Whether it's carried out is another story, but um, I do think it can be done. Thanks. Mark LeClaire here from uh, Akron, Ohio area. And um, my question is, uh, you started with a, a 1% of gross profits, you said, at, uh, towards giving uh, on the corporate level. And I wonder, obviously, tremendous growth has made that more and more significant. Um, is there potentially plans to be able to increase that percentage, one, or two, is there uh, the possibility of inviting employees on a voluntary basis to participate and perhaps give a percentage of their paycheck towards those same giving goals, corporate? Uh, as far as increase, that's always something that they would like to do, and I think they will do that in the future because if you look at what they actually do, now they do the 1%, but they've given extra funds for instance, when they did the uh, Houston trip, that was not a part of the 1%. And so that was a lot of extra money that they pulled out to do that. Um, the reason why they wanted it to be planned giving is because, number one, they didn't want to forget because sometimes when you're in the heat of growing a big business, you just forget about it. And they didn't want that. And so they instruct our uh, finance department and those who take care of the books, et cetera, they, they calculate the profits and then they instruct them to put aside that percentage every month. That's the first thing. And I think that's important. I think it needs to be a planned uh, strategy of giving so that you know exactly what you're working with when you do your projects. But the when you talk about employees, we've actually done that. Um, we wanted our employees to uh, – there's there's two levels of that that we've already done. We had them take a collection to provide uh, T-shirts for all the children on that island where, I, where our employees actually bought the shirts, and, they, and we did that. Uh, the other thing is we are now in the process of doing a sponsorship program where – 50 children at one of the schools who could not, they don't have the, the, the clothes, the, the school fees, the materials, supplies in order to go to school. And so we are asking our employees to sponsor a child or two. And then what happens is our company has 
pay for the fees for the entire year, but what the sponsorship would do would allow there to be a personal one-on-one connection between the kids and our employees. And so there'd be some ownership, some skin in the game, and we've already started the communication where the kids write letters to our employees. And when we go in April, we'll be bringing letters from the employees back to the kids. And um, so there, there, there will be a personal investment with with that. And I think there's there's a, there's so many different things you can do, but I do think it's helpful to open the door to the employees so that they can be personally vested. Ron, this is Bill Vogelka's song. I'm curious if you have any guiding thoughts or principles about how to wrestle with, you know, setting that uh, giving percentage. I mean, your client uh, settled on 1%. Why not, you know, a half? Why not one and a half? Just curious what you wrestled with. Well, they, and of course, you know, some people do it off the gross. Some people do it off the net. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can do it, but um, they got together as an executive team and they just felt like that was going to be the the amount, at least for now, that they want, they felt comfortable with. I mean, there's no theory behind it. It's just something that they chose. So I, I really think the important thing is that you do something. And when it comes to what you feel comfortable with and what you feel you can do, consistently, uh, regardless. I mean, it can even be a dollar amount. Hey, we're going to give, you know, $500 a month or whatever. It may not even be a percentage amount. I think the important thing is to be consistent so it's predictable in what you do. It makes what you do in the beyond profit realm sustainable because you now have some kind of an operating budget to work off of. So ever how you come to that number or how you arrive at that is really kind of unique to, to each group. Ron, this is Reggie again from Good Cities. Um, you've made several references to us, we, our company, we went. Um, seems like you're pretty embedded in the company. How much of your time, I mean, it seems to be more than a consultative arrangement, but maybe you could comment on that. Well, what happened is that when we started working with this company, it was from the outside in. When they moved, they actually, we're in our, we're in the third building since I've been with them. They've outgrown two other buildings. This is the third building. When we came into this third building, uh, they made the decision that our team from Gulf would actually office in this building hmm. and, and so even though Galt had some other clients that they were working with um, my boss wanted the team to be here because he saw the potential of what could be done with this company hmm. And uh, and so that's what happened. We actually started officing out of out of this building, so we were virtually a part of the lives of everybody here. 
And and that was great because we then, as we developed systems and processes, we were able to see with our own eyes, experience ourselves the the shift and the change, and we could kind of guide things along the way simply because we were present. Part of the purpose of our call with businesses doing good is we're seeking to build communities of practice all over the country um, of those leaders who want to come together uh, to talk about and to create businesses that are doing a social good in their community and beyond. And the last two calls that we've had, last time with Caribou Coffee and this time with uh, Golf Strategies and, uh, and Ron Hogue, have, uh, have really talked about uh, creating corporate culture and uh, creating a, a business model that benefits not only our own local communities, but communities around the world. And who has one more uh, question for us today uh, that uh, Ron might uh, speak to? I, I've got one. This is Mark LeClaire again. Uh, I worked for a company, some of the leaders of that company are on this call, that did an admirable job, does an admirable job of promoting uh, culture within the organization. Uh, but I know some of the struggles faced there have to do with putting real application to the values. And, and I wonder, you mentioned that specifically, Ron, I wonder if you could give one or two examples of values that were established for the organization and how uh, direct application was was created for those values. Uh, certainly. Well, of course, one, one, we, we actually, our executive team, they brought our values down to, to three values. One of those was impact. That, and so basically we tried to unpack impact in such a way that it was defined, it was definable through practice. And as I mentioned earlier, for instance, when our leaders, let's say our managers would meet with employees, it used to be that it was purely a performance-driven relationship where they would have keys to success or, or, or certain reports that they would go over so that they would talk about you know, their job performance, et cetera, but we inserted into that meeting, that one-on-one -on -one meeting, we have what we call a quick facts sheet, which basically gives the manager a summation of all the critical personal details of that employee. So whenever they meet with them, they pull out that quick fact sheet because it tells them if they're married or not, it tells them if, if, they're, if they have kids, uh, if they have any health issues, and then they will write notes as they talk to the employee. They will say, so how's it going? I, I realize that last month your your child was had to go to the hospital, um, and I've heard they're, they're out of the hospital. Can you kind of give me an update? So you, you sit there, and you're constantly communicating to them, you are a person of value. I'm not here just about your personal work performance. I'm I'm here to be a relational support to you in any way I possibly can. And when they know that, it changes how they perform because they don't see you just as 
a supervisor, they see you as somebody that actually cares about them. So if we didn't build that into the process so that it would reflect the value of us desiring to impact, because we defined the impact in three areas. We wanted to impact our employees, we wanted to impact our customers, and we wanted to impact people of need around the world. And so that's one of the ways that we could impact our employees. So that's just one example. So this is uh, Scott from Akron again. Um, what other clients does your business have, and do they have relationships with them that are that are like this at all? The relation, well, the businesses that we work with are brand new in the sense that um, they are also related to the water industry. And we are now starting to work with a group of companies that want the same success that we've had here at Crystal Clear. And what's happened is, is that in our discussions with them, we don't talk, I mean, we do tell them about our systems and our processes and how we've automated, et cetera, et cetera. But we also say to them, this is not going to happen apart from the culture piece. And so when they buy into our help, so when we go to consult with them, they know up front that we are going to ask them to make the decision to create a culture that will be the kind of culture that will sustain the growth. And uh, so the only company that's actually done this is the one that we're with now. But I was in some meetings last week. Uh, we've got some people coming in next week that we're signing contracts with. And basically every group that's coming in, they get to experience the culture. They will tell you when they come into our building and when they have conversation with our employees and when they talk to us, they're, they're blown away. They literally are blown away. I did a presentation last week with uh, some high execs from a major corporation and they were actually crying. I mean, they were tearing up. They, they, were, they just couldn't believe it. They, they were blown away. And so that's the power of culture, and um, that's that's kind of our story. We're we're honestly, I mean, we we fully engaged here, but uh, we're just at the beginning of what I believe is going to be very impactful for numerous companies, you know, around the U.S. And, and we're just really excited to be a part of it. Well, there's there's no doubt, Ron, that, that you all are having a big impact. And I believe, folks, that once somebody begins to prototype something and it really works, like this kind of culture change, that uh, the beyond profit culture approach that Ron and the folks at Gulf Strategy are, uh, Strategies are taking, uh, it's something that can be, I, I always like to say, emulated, not imitated. I'm excited about what you've shared today. Again, if you want to get hold of Ron to go further with him, you can contact him at rhoag at crystalclearconcepts.com. And if you'd like to contact us at Good Cities, you can contact me at good city, at uh, glenn at goodcities.net, and you can see our website at uh, www.goodcities.net. We're, uh, we're thrilled to hear the stories.
Well, bless you all, and I hope you have a great day. It's been a pleasure to be on this call with you all.